John was a loyal carpenter working for a very successful building contractor who called him into his office one day and he said, John, I am putting you in charge of the next house we build. I want you to order all the materials and oversee the whole project from the ground up. Well, John accepted the assignment with great enthusiasm. And for 10 days before ground was broken at the building site, John studied the blueprints. He checked every measurement. He checked every specification. And suddenly it dawned on him, if I am really in charge, why not cut a few corners, use less expensive materials, and put the extra money in my own pocket? I mean, who would know the difference Once that house is painted, it will look just great. So John went about his plan. He ordered second grade lumber, but reports indicated it was top grade. He ordered inexpensive concrete for the foundation, put in cheap wiring, and cut every corner he could, yet he reported the purchase of much better materials. When the home was completed and fully painted, he invited the contractor to come and see it. John said to the contractor, what a magnificent job you have done. It looks beautiful. And you have been such a good and faithful carpenter all these years that I have decided to show my gratitude to you by giving you this house that you just built as a gift. (laughs) And I wonder what he thinks now about his plan. What kind of house, what kind of life Are you building? Are you cutting corners? Are you giving second best or less? What does your life look like beneath the veneer? We have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount over the last several months, and it's a call to counter-cultural Christianity as we embrace Jesus' values as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And what matters is the inside, in our hearts, as Jesus said throughout this sermon. We may not have killed anyone, yet we have a lot of anger in our hearts. We may not have committed the act of adultery, but we have lusted. And as followers of Jesus Christ and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it isn't how we look on the outside that really counts, but that our hearts are being transformed through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We come to the close of the greatest sermon ever told. And this final section begins with the word, therefore. Matthew 7, verse 24, therefore. The therefore placed here not only refers back to what we saw last week about phonies and followers, about empty hearts and and empty professions. But the therefore wraps up the entire Sermon on the Mount, beginning with Matthew chapter 5. We have heard these words of Jesus. Now the question is, what will we do with it? Now, since it's Super Bowl Sunday, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) But use an illustration from football. Go Pats. (laughs) Hey, I was in New England most of my life. Go Pats. Now, in football, they have a huddle. Go Pats. The purpose of the huddle is to give 40 seconds or less to call a play with your teammates. 
The millions of people watching the game understand that the huddle is a necessary part of the game so that the players are organized. They know what they're going to do and where they're going to go. But the fans aren't watching football to watch the huddle. The fans have come to see if the players can put into practice the actual play they have called in the huddle. The huddle is not the end. It is a means to the end so that the players can play the game. We huddle together on Sunday mornings. We huddle together around God's Word. We huddle together in Bible studies. We huddle together in small groups. We huddle together in fellowship time. Jesus has huddled together his followers and laid out what it is we are to do and where we are going to go and what we're going to do with what we know. Now we can get all excited about the huddle, but the test is, can we put it into practice? Can we play the game? The effectiveness of our lives cannot be measured by how well we know the play in the huddle, but what we do with it as we break from the huddle. So Jesus says, therefore, verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And then to get his point across, Jesus uses the illustration of two builders and two houses. Now, just to be sure we don't miss it, we are the builders, and the houses we build are our lives. All of us are builders. All of us are builders of houses. All of us are building our lives upon something. Follow along with me as I read verses 24 through 27. Verse 24, Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the floods went up. And the rain came down and the floods came up. I just can't help myself there. I have to sing that. Verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit by looking at the similarities and then the difference. There are three noticeable observations as to the similarities between the two builders and their houses. At least three. I'm making three. Three Noticeable observations as to their similarities. First of all, notice with me that the both builders in Jesus' illustration build the same kind of house outwardly. Both builders build the same kind of house outwardly. I mean, if you were to walk past both the houses, you would not notice really any difference between them. The differences between the two houses are not obvious. To watch these two builders build their lives, you might not see much difference between them. To most, both lived the same way outwardly. That's the first observation. Second observation is both builders 
build their houses in the same general location, using the same materials, and having the same resources available to them. Both builders build their houses in the same general location, using the same materials, and having the same resources available to them. One builder had no advantage over the other. Both attended the same church. Both served in a ministry. Both gave their offering. Both went to the same Bible study. Both attended the same youth group. Both heard the same preaching. Both sang the same songs each week in worship. Both had access to sermons online. Both had more than one Bible in their homes. Both had Christian books on their bookshelves. Both earned scholarships to Christian camps. Both wore cross necklaces. They both seemed to believe and behave the same. That's the second observation. Third observation is that we should note that both builders believed their houses, built their houses to stand. Both builders believed they built their houses to stand. Now, even the foolish builder here does not intentionally build a house he thinks is going to collapse. I mean, who does that? I'm quite sure that he was certain and confident that what he built would last. He never anticipated that what would become of the house when faced with adversity. You see, his life was moving along just fine. He was kind of sitting and soaking and taking it all in. Life was good. But he's considered a fool. Why? What's so foolish about what he has built? I mean, does he lack knowledge? Did he not have the benefit of of, of good teaching? Is it ignorance that makes his building so foolish? Like the men in a pickup truck who drove into a lumber yard, and one of the men walks into the office, and he says, we need some four-by-twos. And the clerk replies, you mean two-by-fours, don't you? The man says, huh, huh, I'll go check. And he goes back to his truck, and he returns in a minute, and he says, yeah, I mean two-by-fours. All right, the clerk says, and how long do you need them? The man pauses for a moment and says, huh, I better go check. He runs back out to the truck, and in a few minutes, he returns. The clerk says, so how long do you need them? The man answers, a long time. We're going to build a house. (laughs) Now, wouldn't you love to see that house they built? See, our problem isn't ignorance. It's been said the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge, but obedience. That's what brings us to the crucial difference between these two builders and the houses they built. Both heard God's word. Both heard the gospel. What's the difference between them? It is all in the foundation they laid. One was on a rock, or better viewed as a large expanse of bedrock. It was solid, it was stable, it was unmovable. The other life was built on sand. Now, what realtor would ever sell sell a house built on sand? False teachers and prophets. The ones we talked about and learned about last week. They provided teaching with no spiritual substance. They convinced the buyer that this was a solid house. Many are buying false teaching today. Many are building their lives on what others have told them is true without real diligence in finding out for themselves. You see, the real danger for any of us is that moment when hearing is not followed 
with doing. While at risk. The amount of light we have at any given time isn't nearly as important as what we're doing with the light we already have. What matters most is what I do with what I already have. It all comes down to obedience as to the kind of foundation we have under us. Three-year-old Beverly was playing with her toys. And her mom, who was folding laundry across the room, noticed Beverly's shirt was dirty and needed to be changed. After calling two times with no response, her mother gave her the full free name call. (laughs) Beverly Elizabeth Provost, did you hear me? And Beverly answered, yes, Mama, my ears did, but my legs didn't. (laughs) That is how it is. And Jesus says, that's foolish. That's foolish. Now, the foolish man loved his house. Things seemed to be going along just fine. No problems, no hassles, no issues to speak of, really. Then one day, as he's just kind of coasting along through life, a storm comes up out of nowhere. It was a brutal storm. And he looked next door, and he saw his wise friend in his his house, and he noticed that it, too, was getting hit hard by the same storm. See, storms are are present in each life. As is the case for the two builders in this illustration, the outward circumstances of their lives were essentially the same. One storm wasn't any more powerful than the other. It was the same storm that hit both houses. But what was the deciding factor to reveal the security of one's house? How it held up to the storms of life. To every life, comes storms. What's the issue for these two builders? What's the issue for all of us here this morning? Listen again as I read verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The wise man is the one who hears God's word. He hears the words of Jesus in this greatest sermon ever told, and he acts on them. The storm may shake him a bit, but he doesn't fall. It may cause concern, but he doesn't panic. It may bring heartache and and weeping and even doubts at times, but he doesn't walk away from the God he loves. Why? Because building your life on the words of Jesus, though sometimes challenging and difficult, is building a foundation that can withstand anything. Building your life on the words of Jesus, though sometimes challenging, is building a foundation that can withstand anything. And to the one who's more concerned about appearance than obedience, his or her life won't be able to withstand the storm. To the one who builds his house, his life, the easy way with less pain as possible, Trials are going to be devastating. You see, the foolish person looks for the shortcuts. The foolish person looks for the quick fix, the the self-medication, the life with the least amount of hassle. The life built on sand is the one who does just enough to get by, makes a lot of excuses, plays the game blame all the time. And gives little attention to to detail and little concern for quality. And he wants instant results, instant pleasure, spiritual highs. So when the rains come, and they will. When the floods hit, and they will. When the winds slam against him, and they will. 
The one who heard but did not obey will crumble and go to pieces. That's what it says. I mean, why is it that two people can go through the same kind of trial and one come out bitter and the other better? It is the foundation that has been laid. What is it that reveals what your life is made of? Really? When storms hit. Building your life on the words of Jesus, though sometimes challenging, is building a foundation that can withstand anything. The question is, are you building to withstand anything? Have you been putting God's word into practice along the way? Don't wait until the storm hits to decide on the kind of foundation you want to build. You see, you can't suddenly and quickly decide to build a more solid foundation as the storm is hitting. That's already been decided before the storm hits. The question is, what are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? Am I waiting for the kids to leave the nest? Do you get married? Do that circumstance passes? Do you get out of high school? What are you waiting for to do what it is that you know God is telling you to do? Or you're like that dad who was fed up with all the junk on TV and the amount of time his family spent in front of the TV. So he announced to his family members, he gathered them all in the room, and he announced to his family members, I have had it with this TV. It is a complete waste of time, and I'm getting rid of it. And as soon as the football season is over, it's gone. (laughs) A little hypocrisy there. What are you putting off doing because to obey would inconvenience your life? What are you doing right now that's guaranteeing your life is going to hold up when, not if, when the storms hit? I mean, what marriage can withstand the seasons of change? One that has put God's word into practice, the central part of their life. What parent can withstand the difficulty of a wayward child? One that has put God's word into practice. What college student can withstand the professor's bashing of Christianity? One that has put God's word into practice. What is it that can sustain you through the lows of life, the worst of times, the daily grinds? Here is only... No, hearers and doers of God's word. What is the storm that has come into your life right now that's testing the quality of your foundation? Remember, building your life on the words of Jesus, though sometimes challenging, is building a foundation that can withstand anything. So look through this, this Sermon on the Mount this week. I challenge you to do that. It begins at Matthew chapter 5, goes to the, to the end of Matthew chapter 7. And ask yourself, what area needs my attention? What area have I heard but I am not putting into practice? Please take time to do that. Because Jesus has commanded us not to be ruled by anger, not to be ruled by lust or worry or deception or retaliation or judging others. And when we put these things into practice, we find joy and satisfaction and peace even when the storms hit. See, to build our lives around what Jesus says is a life that can withstand anything. So be encouraged, wise builder. Your house will stand. Be encouraged, wise builder. Victory will come. 
Be encouraged, wise builder. God's promises hold true. He will not forget the work you have done. He will not leave you in the storm alone. He will not allow what you have built to come to nothing. He will see to it that you will stand. He will see you through the storm. How will you build? What will you choose? What should be our response? Look at the last two verses of this chapter. When Jesus finished, verse 28, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. We see here the response of the crowds, all those that heard what Jesus just taught. And it says their response was what? They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed. That means they were struck in the mind. They were astounded. They were beside themselves. For Jesus taught in a way different than the teachers of the law. They had never heard such comprehensive words of depth before. His words came in power. His words came in authority. And their response was one of amazement and wonder. But I ask, is amazement enough? Did Jesus tell them these things simply so they'd be amazed? Did he give them his teaching so that they had more information? They watched. They listened. They were impressed. But was that enough? What they needed was not amazement, but belief. What they needed was not astonishment, but obedience. Now suppose that you work for a man as an executive assistant in a fast-growing company. The owner is interested in expanding the company overseas, so he makes plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. The owner makes all the arrangements to move to Europe for six to eight months, and he leaves you in charge of the company right there in the States. He mentions that he's going to write to you regularly to give you directions and instructions. He was of the old school. He's going to handwrite letters, and he's going to mail them to you. And off he goes. Months pass. Flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you. He spells out all of his expectations. One day, he returns. The owner drives down to the office, and he's stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows are broken. He walks into the receptionist's office, and she's doing her nails and listening to music. The wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has just returned. In a burst of fury, the owner looks for you and he finds you in your office finishing a game of chess with one of the sales managers. The owner asks you to step into his office, which has been turned into a game room. What in the world's going on? The owner asks. What do you mean, boss? You reply. Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, right. Letters. Got every one of them. As a matter of fact, boss, we have a Friday night letter study group that meets since you left. We have even divided all the personnel into smaller groups to discuss many of the things you wrote in those letters. Some of the things you wrote were very interesting, boss. 
You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two have even memorized the entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters, boss. Okay, okay, you got my letters, you, you studied my letters, you, you meditated on my letters, you discussed my letters, you even memorized my letters, but what did you do about them? Do? Huh? We didn't do anything. Sound familiar? We just studied the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. We have heard what it requires to be countercultural, embrace Jesus' values, and to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. What will we do about what we just heard? That's obedience, doing what we are told to do. Here is only build the foundation on shifting sand. Doers build the foundation on something solid. How are you building your life? We now break from the huddle. The game is on. Let's be doers and not hearers only. That's Jesus' point. Let's pray.